With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. My name is Mark Daly. I'm your host and it is, well, it is only just Thursday, October 22nd for just another hour or so. The week and the day and the month indeed and the year in fact uh, are, are ebbing away quickly. And honestly, 2020 can disappear and go away as quickly as possible. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that has that uh, thought. It's been uh, quite a horrible year so far. Anyways, we're not here to complain about uh, 2020. Well, I guess we could, but we are here to talk about uh, Formula One. This weekend, the Portuguese Grand Prix at Portimao, the first Portuguese Grand Prix and a good number of years. So really looking forward to that. And as I sit here in the studio in the dying hours of October 22nd, we are now just under seven hours away from FP1 at uh, at Portimao. So never get tired of saying that whenever I come into the studio on a Thursday night to do the weekly show. And uh, like I say, I'm really looking forward to this uh, this Grand Prix this weekend. I say that every time that there's a race. <laughs> I think that's just sort of default setting, but I'm sure all of you can identify with that uh, as well. Anyways, a good number of things to talk about uh, this week on the show. And it's been an interesting week from a point of view of uh, Formula One news. It, we're really going to cover a really you know, broad amount of uh, you know, several topics here as we, we uh, go through the, the, the news list uh, you know, this evening. And we're going to go everywhere from uh, driver changes to Ferrari and um, uh, COVID and all sorts of weird things uh, going on in Formula One. But uh, that is the times. Uh, of course, uh, COVID is a, an issue everywhere, of course, uh, as it has been for um, a, a good long period of time already. And uh, Formula One has uh, certainly not been immune to that. But uh, before we get into that, uh, one of the big uh, issues or the big uh, stories of the week is that Kevin Magnussen and uh, Roman Grosjean have been uh, confirmed that they will not be returning to Haas F1 for 2021. And that uh, ends uh, some speculation over the past uh, couple of weeks, uh, what uh, Gene Haas and uh, Gunther Steiner were going to do. And I don't think this really comes as any big surprise, does it really? I mean, we were talking about it uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks uh, here and there on the show as, uh, you know, some of some of the race seats have kind of uh, solidified and the plans have been made known. And you have uh, guys like Nico Hulkenberg and Sergio Perez looking for drives in 2021. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't think it's a, a bad move on the part of Haas to, to, to part way with those guys. That, that team, like I said, needs a bit of a brush of uh, fresh, uh, fresh in it. I mean, I don't think it's fair to lay all of their woes and problems at the the, the feet of Rogro and K Mag, but, but it is what it is. 
And uh, they, they did say that it was uh, for financial uh, reasons. But uh, anyways, uh, Jan Magnussen, the, the, the father of Kevin, uh, Jan also was uh, in uh, Formula One a good number of years ago. Um, he said that uh, he's uh, advising his son to investigate uh, opportunities in IndyCar, World Endurance, uh, and, and also to look for whatever uh, you know, Formula One opportunities there are for 2022. So Kevin said uh, he is interested about maybe a, a possible switch over to IndyCar, and he's not really keen on taking a sabbatical away from uh, motor racing for next year the year after whatever it might be uh until um you know he gets a, a chance again if that chance comes again in uh, formula one so i mean yeah and i mean he, he's a guy like he, he raced in singles he just raced in formula one and then he uh, after his uh, his opportunity had disappeared he uh went over to racing in sports cars he was with uh, corvette racing from 2004 to 2019 he earned uh, two imps of gt titles and four gt class Le Mans 24 hour wins so you know i, I mean it isn't the end of the line, uh, obviously, for especially young drivers uh, or maybe even older drivers, too, uh, if uh, you've got that desire to race and uh, you're uh, willing to, to look uh, elsewhere. Uh, anyways, uh, Jan uh, was asked uh, what uh, he would, uh, what sort of advice he would give to his uh, son to, uh, you know, where he should follow and what uh, he should do in terms of his career from here. And uh, he said, uh, he quote, he doesn't have to let go of the single seaters for next season. He's not going to be with Haas anymore, but I don't think he's ready to give up yet on the F1 dream. It is unlikely he'll have a race seat for next year, but there's also 2022, which should be an exciting year in F1 with the new rules. I don't know if there are uh, opportunities for that year, but Kevin needs to make sure if there is or isn't, so nothing slips through his fingers. I'm advising Kevin to really figure out what he wants, what's most important, and then go for that. He's been very vocal uh, that he wants to win races, but also it has to be in something meaningful, so I do believe that he needs to go for the best opportunities he can find in either IndyCar or in the WEC see and then he needs to make up his mind on what he wants the most and go all in on that end quote yeah i mean that's i think that's a good fatherly advice i mean it's the one things uh to be uh winning uh, races but uh <clears throat> If it is uh, perhaps uh, something that's uh, maybe a little bit uh, beneath him, that's uh, maybe not as uh, challenging, that's uh, something uh, c- completely different. Uh, but uh, it sounds like there are plenty of opportunities. And, and Kevin says that he is interested, uh, like I was saying just now, with a potential uh, switched IndyCar for, for next year. And, uh, well, I mean, uh, he, he's been there for a couple of years. He's been there since 2017, replaced Esteban uh, Gutierrez. And, uh, well, I mean, he's uh, just uh, been there a little while longer than his teammate uh, Roman Grosjean, who's been with the team ever since the they joined uh, Formula One uh, several years ago. And uh, anyways, uh, Kevin was uh, asked about a, a possible move uh, elsewhere. He said, quote, IndyCar is something that I've always been interested in always. My dad was an IndyCar driver back in the 90s, and I've been to IndyCar races with him as a small child, and I just always thought it was super cool, and I would love to have a go at that at some time. Uh, but at the moment, I think even outside F1, the whole motorsport world is hit hard by these times that we have this year, and it doesn't look easy to get good deals over there. So we will see. I'm not saying no to it at all, and I'm not saying it's impossible, but it looks slightly difficult, end quote. So, yeah, I mean, I think he's going to have to be uh, obviously quite uh, flexible, and uh, he's going to have to keep his uh, eyes and ears open and, and be willing to take uh, new opportunities. I mean, times are tough uh, for, for everybody at the at the moment. I mean, we are in a, a global economic economic downturn in a global pandemic uh, so it's just uh, it's a difficult time uh, for everyone but 
It, it will be interesting to see where he turns up um, if he gets a drive, uh, you know, maybe an Indy car or uh, an endurance car somewhere else uh, next year and uh, wh- whether or not he makes it back into uh, Formula One at some point in the future. Anyway, so, so the reason that Haas uh, was giving for the the decision to drop uh, both uh, Grosjean and, uh, and, and, and Magnussen was uh, they, they were being dropped uh, for financial reasons and, uh, well... That, that's kind of a, an interesting one, uh, you know, for it yeah, to, to kind of be uh, put out there. Like I said, I don't think it would have been um, a big surprise for has to uh, part ways with uh, either one or both of these guys just uh, as as a pure sporting decision. Like I said, I mean, the, this team needs something. Uh, uh, they need to do something to re-energize themselves. I mean, of course, they got Ferrari engines, which uh, aren't the greatest either, and they, they've kind of haven't really kind of lived up to to expectations they they've kind of stumbled a little bit in 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 formula 1 i mean they've done a very good job don't get me wrong to come into formula 1 they've been in now what 5 years now since 2016 i mean it's, it's a difficult thing to come into formula 1 as a, as a constructor like uh, like they are and uh, be competitive uh, right off the bat but uh, i mean they they showed some flourishes here and there and last year that uh, started to tail off a little bit uh, this year yeah it's it's been a bit uh, a bit of a continuation uh, you know, from from last year, even though uh, Grosjean did score some points at the Eiffel Grand Prix the other weekend, but still, it's uh, it's it's a bit uh, it's it's a bit disappointing to see that uh, that they are stumbling a bit. Uh, like I said, anyway, so Grosjean uh, did admit that he has no real plans, nothing uh, concrete for next year, but uh, he, he is looking outside of Formula One. Four opportunities, and he said that uh, both uh, endurance cars and and also Formula E are options, and uh, that uh, that there are some possibilities uh, there. He was talking maybe about uh, Peugeot and their hypercar project uh, that uh, you know for 2022. So he he's he's definitely looks like uh, he he's got uh, some more irons in the fire. At least uh, you know he's saying so uh, pub- uh, publicly compared to maybe his uh, teammate uh, Magnussen. Um, anyways, um, he uh, he he was asked about it, and he had to say, "quote I knew probably." One of us would be out at the end of the year just because of the situation around the world and how COVID has made it very hard financially for a lot of companies around the world. So I knew one of us would go out and that's why I said to Gunther on the call when he called me that I was expecting one of us and he said, no, for financial reasons, I need both of you out. So fair enough. I fully understand. I know it's been a tough year with COVID in a lot of industries or companies that suffer from it. The team is going on a different path and I wish them uh, luck and the best for the future, end quote. So uh, Grosjean did, uh, he, like I say, he did uh, talk about uh, some uh, some different uh, options that he's uh, looking at. He just, uh, one of the things he said was, quote, I've had some partners in my career following me through different teams, but I've never been a pay driver as such. And I don't want to become one. It's just the way that it is, end quote. So... Yeah, I mean it's it's got to be a, a little bit uh, disappointing uh, for for those guys, but uh, you you see it right from uh, you know you hear it right from the lips of uh, Roman Grosjean himself that uh, that that it seemed obvious that one or both of these guys were going to be out at the uh, at the end of the season. Honestly, I, I'm surprised that it was both of them. I would have thought uh, maybe perhaps uh, Magnussen uh, might uh, you know might stick around. The the thing is uh, Grosjean. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just find him, 
well, let's just say the the incidents that he's had that uh, didn't put him in the best light have been a little bit more spectacular than the, than other uh, other drivers. But uh, I guess it's neither here nor there. Maybe six of one, half dozen of the other when it comes to both of those drivers. And of course, if they're uh, looking at uh, restructuring things uh, on a financial side within the team for what they need to do for the rest of 2020 and then going into 2021 and then uh, the new formula in 2022, then there are obviously things uh, to be considered. So it's going to be very interesting now with uh, two seats opening up at, at Haas. Who might uh, get get a look there? I mean, uh, one of the names that uh, was uh, put out there was uh, Sergio Perez, and that uh, might uh, nicely open the door for for Checo to go to to Haas uh, F one. And I see a lot of um, I see a lot of possibilities there. I mean, uh, Sergio is obviously Mexican. There's a, obviously a big uh, you know Mexican population, Latin American population in the United States. Uh, Sergio brings a lot of sponsorship uh, money with him, and I think that uh, that there's obviously a possibility abilities there. I mean, uh, I, I think that uh, that uh, he's a marketable driver. I think that uh, that, that that people in uh, in the United States, obviously in Mexico, can uh, can uh, identify with him. And I think that uh, you know the job that he's done at Force India slash Racing Point over the past uh, number of years. I think he's done. I, th- I think he's a very good team guy. I mean, even though he b- brings a lot of uh, sponsorship money, I wouldn't say he's a pay driver by any stretch of the mean. I mean, he's just very financially uh, well funded. He's got uh, good connections. And, uh, you know, the, the, the stuff that you hear from, uh, you know, the people at Racing Points, I mean, they, they've got nothing but good things to say about him. I mean, uh, not don't remember. I mean, he's the guy that really triggered the whole thing a couple of years ago, forcing, uh, no pun intended, Force India into administration. And that, uh, you know, he, he uh, helped, uh, I, what was it now, with a bit of the financing, some of out of his own personal resources to kind of pay some of the bills or the paychecks or something. But he basically set uh, the, everything in motion to let uh, Lawrence Stroll and his group uh, come in and and take over the team and uh you know kind of get to VJ Malia out of the picture and there there was no doubt that once uh, the Stroll money uh, came uh, rolling in that uh, that that team definitely started to perform better in the latter half of that season than they did in the beginning of the year when uh, you know the, the the funding that tap was slowly getting uh, turned off and uh you know Sergio had a lot to to do with that but i mean he's just been a, a good team guy right from the very beginning and i think that uh, Haas might be a, a very very good uh, fit for him so that's a certain one that we're going to have to uh, keep an eye on over the next uh, weeks and months and see if there's an announcement there. But uh, it is interesting. I mean, Haas apparently decided to uh, drop both of these guys, Magnuson and Grosjean, a couple of uh, weeks ago. And, uh, it, it, you know, I, I, f- I don't really find that uh, uh, a big bit uh, surprising either. I think that uh, they've had some idea for, for quite a while that uh, what they want to do and what they need to do. And uh, some of the names that uh, that uh, that also been uh, thrown out there are Mick Schumacher and uh, Nikita Mazepin, uh, who are both uh, you know, candidates for, for both of those seats. And uh, of course, like I'm saying, Sergio Perez, and I keep thinking about uh, Nico Hulkenberg. But I, I guess uh, when it comes to those guys, uh, I guess it depends a little bit on the, uh, the, the amount of money that they want. I mean, if they're saying that they're dropping uh, uh, Grosjean and, uh, and and Magnuson guys that have been a, around Formula One for a little while. I can imagine that um, obviously they're not getting Lewis Hamilton type money or Sebastian Vettel or Max Verstappen type money. I'm sure that they're doing very, very well and that, that not uh, with uh, standing. But if you have guys like uh, Mazepin or uh, Schumacher, uh, obviously young guys, rookies, uh, you know, in Formula Two, then, uh, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, quite a bit of a difference in the pay scale there. But uh, it would be interesting, um, you know, a, a guy 
guy like Nico Hulkenberg. I mean, he came in on spur of the moment to, to fill in for Lance Stroll at the Eiffel Grand Prix, filled in for Checo Perez at the uh, the, the, the Grand Prix that uh, we saw at Silverstone in the summer when uh, when, when uh, Perez was out uh, after he tested positive uh, for for COVID. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is something we're just going to have to keep an eye on. Um, anyways, uh, Gunther had to say, quote, I think we wanted to be fair to them. We could have kept it uh, for us uh, for a while and then just do it. But I think the guys uh, were good with us in the last years. We said we're not going that way. We're going to do some changes. And therefore, we want to tell them that they've got a chance to find something else. If we tell them only whenever we decide who's going to drive the car, it could be at the end of the year. And they would have a lesser chance of finding something for next year. I would say we made a decision in about two or three weeks ago. I called them last week, end quote. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Gunther, he does go on to say that he, it was a difficult uh, dis- uh, decision. He's, uh, he did admit uh, that they've had ups and downs uh, with uh, you know, the relationship that they've had with both of these uh, drivers over the past uh, four or five years. And uh, But uh, at the end of the day, he, he just uh, basically said, uh, when it comes down to it, he has to look after the team. I mean, he's the team principal, obviously, so he needs to make uh, the, the the decisions that uh, that, that uh, are in the best uh, interest of the of the team. So certainly, like I say, it is uh, one to uh, really keep an eye on over the next uh, weeks and months ahead and uh, see who fills in uh, those two seats. Okay, so it's time for a break here on the Overtime Media Network, and I just want to talk to you guys about my bookie because between the NFL, college ball, and Major League ba- Baseball playoffs, there's no shortage of games to watch, and with thousands of lines available on all your favorite sports and events, you can turn your game day into payday with my bookie. If you're the type of person who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple in a parlay for the much bigger payout. Not only do parlays make meaningless games exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. And don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on a Sunday. Every team truly has a chance to win, and you do too. So game spreads, championship futures, and player prop bets, it's never too late to get in on the action and start turning your sports knowledge into actual cash in your wallet. So sign up at MyBookie, and when you do, use my promo code OVERTIME to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar, all the way up to 1000 bucks. It's a bonus that's designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's my promo code OVERTIME for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports, and more. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And uh, well, we were talking a little bit uh, just now, sort of tangentially at uh, at any rate, about uh, Racing Point. We were talking about uh, Sergio Perez, who will be uh, leaving that team at the end of the year. Anyways, uh, Racing Point, uh, they're going to receive a, a warning from the FAA about uh, Lance Stroll after he tested uh, positive uh, following the uh, the Eiffel Grand Prix. If you uh, remember, he got sick uh, following the, the the Russian Grand Prix. Then uh, he was really sick uh, just before the, the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring a couple of weeks ago. He was tested at the time. Uh, the, 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 the test uh, did uh, come back uh, negative at the time. But uh, anyways, um, subsequently, since the Nürburgring, he did... Uh, 
uh, test positive uh, for COVID-19. And uh, they've actually ruled that the team has failed to comply with uh, the COVID-19 code of conduct protocols that was uh, put in place uh, before the start of the season by uh, not reporting the, uh, the, the Lance Stroll's uh, test immediately. So that that is uh, really surprising. So uh, there was a couple of warnings that uh, were handed out uh, earlier this year. Um, Charles Leclerc got uh, one after he went back to, to, to Monaco between the two races we had at the, uh, the the Red Bull ring in Austria. And then uh, Sebastian Vettel got, uh, got a, a warning as well because he was uh, mixing uh, with, with people outside the team bubble or bubble when he was uh, talking with Helmut Marko and Christian Horner at uh, in the Spielberg uh, uh, paddock. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, well, I mean, you can understand why. I mean, uh, Formula One is a, is a, is a small community, but uh, they have these uh, bubbles uh, for a reason. Um, anyways, uh, so Stroll was uh, tested on Sunday, the, the same day of the Eiffel Grand Prix, and uh, he uh, was uh, he went back to his home in, in Switzerland by, by a, a private jet, and then uh, the next morning, the next day, he uh, received a, a positive uh, test result. So um, apparently the FAA did not find out about uh, the, the, the test positive result until this week, so uh, a week after, and uh, this was uh, also just before Stroll confirmed on uh, on social media that he had tested positive and is now subsequently uh, tested negative again um, so that that was a, a real surprise hadn't uh, expected to, to hear that at all anyways the code of conduct uh, that uh, that they put in place uh, really um, you know is pretty crystal clear so anyways uh, and it says and uh, and I quote uh, directly uh, our covid-19 delegate will also receive updates from the stakeholder if during the a covered event or within 14 days at the end of a covered event, any circumstances arise such a disclosure by approved test provider relating to you or your reports made by you to the applicable stakeholder that indicate you may no longer be fit to attend the covered events, end quote. So, uh... (laughs) Obviously, that was within the 14 days, and uh, if it's taken them, you know, like over a week to uh, report that, and I guess they they have to do contact tracing and all those other things as well, that is a significant uh, amount of time if uh, people were in close contact uh, with Lance and needed to uh, to self-isolate or watch, uh, you know, uh, signs of illness uh, for themselves. So, uh, anyways, uh, that, that is, uh, I was I was quite surprised uh, when I saw that because uh, honestly, I hadn't been following this story at all uh, ever since because uh, I, I thought it was a good story at the time. Obviously, not, not Lance being sick that he had to withdraw from the race, but I thought that you know that the story of that uh, that that Grand Prix at the time was Nico Hulkenberg coming in qualifies last but uh, finishes what we finished eighth or ninth or whatever I mean I thought uh, it was a fantastic result uh, for, for Nico Hulkenberg so the, I, I kind of took it uh, the, the story from that uh, that that perspective from that twist that it was a feel-good story that uh, you get the guy that uh, that was left without a seat in uh, in Formula One after the end of uh, last year when the musical chair stopped and Nico was still standing and he's come to come in and deputized a couple of times this year. Obviously, the first time in uh, in, in Britain, he wasn't even able to start, which was a, d- a disappointment. But th- th- it was uh, it was a real shock, to be quite honest. Uh, anyways, uh, Racing Point uh, team principal Otmar uh, Safnauer said, "Quote: I think it's a good idea that the FIA has now said 24 hours from entering the paddock, you do another test. So we will do that." End quote. But. Uh, 
it is a, a little bit uh, surprising that uh, notwithstanding that uh, that they got uh, you know got caught uh, by that. Anyways, uh, Safnauer did also say that uh, Stroll's diagnosis that he didn't have coronavirus symptoms at the Grand Prix itself was made over uh, the, the the phone when he was talking to his personal uh, doctor. And uh, he'd been, uh, you know, he had an upset uh, stomach uh, before the Nürburgring uh, race. And uh, he'd actually been, uh, you know, really sick on the Saturday uh, on qualifying. He wasn't able actually to, to get in the car and had to withdraw at that uh, point. So uh, at that point, the, the Stroll and uh, Racing Point were actually satisfied he wasn't uh, suffering from, from COVID because he wasn't really uh, exhi- you know, exhibiting all the uh, the other symptoms that we've all kind of uh, come to expect, you know, like the fever, the you know, the, the, the coughing, uh, the shortness of breath or difficulty breathing and all that. Uh, anyway, so uh, he didn't actually take a, a test until he uh, returned back to, to, to Switzerland to uh, where he lives. And then uh, that's uh, when they uh, found out he actually had tested uh, positive. So it's it's been quite a controversy, uh, you know, ever since. It's kind of, uh, you know, shown some of the holes in uh, some of the protocols that they've uh, put down uh, between, uh, you know, Formula One and the FIA. Um, anyways, uh, Safnauer had to say, quote, he had an upset stomach and he's had it consistently. And one thing that Lance uh, did is he called his doctor. So what should I do, right? So instead of listening to Otmar, he called his doctor. I'm not a physician. He's Lance, a uh, private uh, physician in Switzerland. It was a phone call and it was the same guy, uh, Lance, after Russia. So, you know, he got a uh, stomach upset after Russia. We test him a couple of times. Lance went and saw the doctor in Switzerland, so called him. Uh, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but let's not forget he tested pre, uh, uh, pre-event negative. He tested uh, twice post-Russia negative. The symptoms were there post-Russia. Now that he had a test on Sunday, it came back positive. Yes, you could look in hindsight, but you've got to remember at the time, with the information we had, it was unnecessary. It didn't even come into my mind, go do a test, end quote. So, well, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I, I guess, like you said, hindsight is uh, twenty twenty. but, uh, you know, I, I guess in this day and age, if somebody's uh, really sick, that, uh, you know, uh, that if, if he's actually sick enough that he can't uh, get, you know, get in the car and drive uh, for, you know, for qualifying or for the race, he actually has to withdraw. I mean, how, how many times have we seen that happen, um, you know, in, in, in normal times? I mean, uh, it, it, it doesn't usually happen, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a rare event, so let's, let, let's just uh, put it that way. But uh, I, I guess as Otmar says, uh, you know, they did uh, test him uh, twice after Russia. He tested uh, positive, uh, you know, before the race. So I, I don't know. I mean, uh, how many times do you have to test somebody before you're, you know, you're you're ultimately, um, uh, you know, satisfied or not satisfied that uh, that he does or does not have uh, COVID nineteen? I guess the, the, I, I I would think the thing that must have uh, kind of set the alarm bells ringing is uh, the, the the fact that uh, he was there at the Nurburgring and then decided to go home and takes a, a private jet uh, back to, to Switzerland and then uh, test there. So I guess uh, you know there there is that. Uh, you know uh, that opportunity that he could have spread the virus to other people. So I, I guess it does uh, highlight uh, some uh, issues that they have with the with the testing protocols in in Formula One. Anyways, uh, talking about uh, Nico Hulkenberg, and we've uh, spoken about him uh, quite a little bit uh, the, this uh, the, the show so far. 
Apparently, uh, he is on call, on standby, whatever you want to you know name it, uh, for the, the the Portuguese uh, Grand Prix this weekend, just in case Lance Stroll does not pass uh, you know a, another uh, COVID uh, test. So, um, you know, he currently has uh, tested negative, um, but you know, I, I guess uh, they're, they're you know, being extra cautious and uh, you know and not uh, leaving anything uh, to chance now. Um, he's been in self-isolation at his home in Switzerland since he uh, returned, but uh, he did have a test negative earlier this week, and uh, he's really hopeful that he can uh, get back in the car for the, uh, the the Portuguese Grand Prix at Portimao this uh, weekend. So, anyways, uh, Nico Hulkenberg is in Portugal, and uh, Otmar Safnauer had to say, quote, yes, Nico was here, and I think other teams have opted to, to bring uh, reserve drivers uh, for the first time. I think it just makes sense to have reserve drivers. Um <clears throat> And he did go on to, to say about Lance Stroll, quote, uh, he had a test, a negative test coming into this weekend. The probab- probability of uh, getting now a positive is low. Is it uh, zero? I don't uh, know much about it, but it's low, you know. Nico's here as a precaution. I'm confident Lance will be able to be in the car this weekend, end quote. So there you go. I think it makes a lot of sense to have a reserve driver on hand like Nico Hulkenberg or for any of the other teams. I mean, we've seen despite uh, the, the the fact that uh, they have this uh, Formula One or Formula One that is has this uh, COVID uh, protocol in place and they have these team bubbles and all that, that they haven't been completely immune. We saw it with uh, Perez. We saw it with uh, Stroll. We've seen it at uh, Mercedes with uh, some of the people uh, there testing positive. I mean, the big difference is now compared to uh, back in March at the the Australian Grand Prix when COVID was a, a big unknown is that uh, medical professionals and uh, they, they just know a lot more about how this uh, virus works and uh, what they need to do and how they can isolate and keep people apart. So it, it it's, I mean, obviously it's awkward. Obviously it's a difficult thing to, 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 to have to work through and to uh, to kind of live through. But they've developed a, a system that works, and I think uh, by and large, um, it, it's been a weird season just to be a, because of that. I mean, we didn't start until July, but you know, all you know, I, I got to give them props uh, for for getting it up and running, and it hasn't been perfect. And uh, they, they said so right from the very beginning that uh, that they'd have to uh, you know deal with any of the unexpected things that have, would come up inevitably along the way, but. I mean, we, you, you look at it now, we've got uh, two-thirds of the season uh, behind us. We're down to, what, half a dozen ra- races left in the year before it's uh, it's sadly done in just under two months uh, from now. It's kind of been uh, fast and furious. I mean, we, we've had uh, a, a lot of races, uh, you know, week in, week out. We've had a number of triple headers and uh, th- that we usually don't get in a normal year. I mean, at most, uh, we'll get uh, back-to-back weekends. I mean, was it 2018 that we had a triple uh, header? What was it, Germany, France, and England, or so- something like that? I think it was all the the three races um, that, that, that we had about that time at uh, Brands Hatch, uh, Hockenheim, and I think uh, the French Grand Prix at Paul Ricard. Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. So, I mean, it, it has been a, a really hectic uh, pace, and I, I think they've done well to, uh, to uh, to adjust on the fly that they've had, and it just seemed inevitable at uh, at some point that uh, that things like this were were bound to come up, that they were bound to happen, and uh, I think it just makes sense to have uh, reserve drivers on hand, uh, regardless if you're your um, uh, racing point or, or anyone else. 
Anyways, uh, talking now about the the, the Portuguese uh, Grand Prix, that um, because of the uh, increase in COVID uh, restrictions, the attendance at the race uh, this weekend has have to be, be uh, reduced. So they had actually been uh, targeting uh, crowds up to about uh, 50,000 uh, people each day of the, uh, the the race weekend, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, but uh, there, there's been a new uh, round of uh, restrictions that were announced in uh, Portugal uh, last week. And uh, so they, they basically had to uh, cap the number of uh, spectators uh, per day to 27,500. And I, I thought it was kind of weird at the at the Nürburgring a couple of uh, you know weeks ago that you did see quite a number of people at the track. I mean, all very nicely socially distanced and all that. And, and I, I guess it looked weird to me because uh, I, I've told this uh, story almost ad nauseum on the show now. I mean, uh, when I went to the Nürburgring it was at the height of the uh, Schumacher mania, you know, 20 years ago. And uh, I mean, it, it's almost cringeworthy now. <laughs> I mean, and considering the COVID environment that, that we live in to think that, uh, you know, 20 years ago um, at the, the European Grand Prix that I was in attendance for that uh, you were all sitting there shoulder to shoulder. I mean, well, it was the middle of summer. And uh, I mean, but there was obviously more than a hundred thousand people there that, that, that day it may have been 125. I, I, I can't remember. I mean, it's such a long time ago now, but it, it, it just kind of looked uh, funny to see people there all kind of like neatly spaced out with a, a couple of meters or six feet uh, between them all. I mean, kudos for them uh, uh, to do so, but, uh, uh, you know, you, you look at the, well, I guess it depends too on the facilities. I mean, if you, um, are able to get to that many people into the, uh, the, the facility and still Manage to you know to uh, in, enforce the, uh, the the public health health measures and have people uh, um, you know uh, you know maintain physical distancing and all that. I think that's a, a good thing. But I mean they're really taking a big you know swath of attendance out, uh, reducing it from fifty down to twenty seven and a half thousand. Uh, you know that, that was approved by the local uh, government there. So, anyways, uh, we'll we'll talk more about the race in the uh, a little bit later in the show here. But uh, it's just time now to take another break here on the overtime media network while I catch my breath, get a drink of water. And while I do that, please don't go away. I'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. 
They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is not the London I grew up in. It's time to take back our city. This granny's joining the resistance. Are you? Play Watch Dogs Legion. Available October 29th. Rated M for Mature. All right, well, welcome back to the show. So time to move away from COVID, time to talk about other things rather than uh, coronavirus tests and all that. Uh, Total Wolf, team principal at uh, Mercedes, uh, believes that Formula One is not doing enough promoting hybrid uh, engines outside of uh, the, the, the series. And uh, he says it's a, it's a good showcase, or Formula One is, uh, is a good showcase for hybrid uh, technology, but they're not telling the story of their power units uh, well enough. And, and I think that's uh, you know, very interesting. Anyways, the, the, the quote said that... Uh, that uh, Toto uh, you know, uh, made was uh, and, uh, as follows, quote, I believe we're not telling the hybrid story well enough. With 50% thermal efficiency and the complexity, complexity and technology that exists in these cars with the energy recovery and uh, the kinetic energy uh, or exhaust gases, the batteries that we're using and the technology within them, we are a pretty good showcase for hybrid technology. The next generation of power units, whenever they come, will lend even more to sustainable energy recover and sustainable propulsion systems in the future. We know that we have to look at the cost. We don't want to make the same mistake that we are purely engineering driven like we with these power units, but make sure that they are also something innovative, sustainable, powerful, fuel efficient, and at a reasonable price, end quote. So yeah, I, I think that is uh, really interesting because, uh, you know, that I think that's a one quote, that, that, that one sort of keyword or, or phrase, if you want to call it that, is that, that Formula One always has to be road relevant. And uh, I guess whatever technology that comes out of Formula One or any kind of uh, motor racing that, uh, that, that filters down to uh you know into my car and your car uh <laughs> I, i'm sure it's very watered down that uh you know very simplified to what uh what uh, what they get on the track but still i, I think it's a, an interesting thing and I, I think that there's a lot uh that that uh that, that toto's uh hitting on there that uh, I, I think is very interesting and uh, i think uh, he's he, he is on to something there because you really don't uh hear enough uh about uh you know the, what they're doing in formula one i mean that's a real you know with uh, the, the whole thing about uh sustainable technology and, and, and climate change and all these things that uh, that, uh, that that we hear about uh, nowadays when, when we have these fantastic uh, you know complex uh, marvels i mean uh, let's just uh, call it for you know call them for what they are 
I mean, they are just uh, completely brilliant pieces of uh, engineering. I mean, like he says, they are very expensive, but there are some uh, very, very good things that uh, they're they're doing. And you would think that uh, that that might be something to that they could uh, you know do more to promote because, <clears throat> rightly or wrongly, I think that uh, Formula One has always had this. Um, yeah, I, what do you want to call it? Uh, kind of uh, an atmosphere or uh, the, the kind of the sort of an ex- excess is almost decadent. And, and a lot of that is, you know, there's, it really is, uh, you know, when, when they're racing to Monte Carlo and places like that, I mean, there's, people are going to make a lot of conclusions about it. So, I mean, as as obvious uh, that uh, that that conclusion is naturally going to get made. I mean that that is only a little part about uh, Formula One, and uh, you know if people want to talk about uh, stuff like that, I mean that that's fine. But uh, on the other side, I mean uh, they they should look at uh, other things too. And I think that uh, like Toto says that uh, they they're not telling the story about the the, the hybrid uh, or the hybrid stories he uh, calls it. They're not telling it well enough, and I think that's uh, very good. And you know, uh, maybe that uh, it, it hasn't been looked into enough because maybe outside of the sports uh, that just enough people or, or not enough people have not been uh, interested or uh, really uh, you know, brought to attention on that matter. Anyways, uh, moving along, sticking uh, with uh, Mercedes. So there's no plan to, to have a complete rebrand of the Mercedes uh, team into uh, AMG. And this kind of follows in the wake uh, of uh, something that came out a couple of uh, weeks ago. That uh, when Daimler CEO uh, Ola Kalanius uh, revealed uh, that uh, that there were going to be a real uh, strengthening of ties between the AMG brand and the uh, the Mercedes Formula One team, and uh, it, well, it was part of a it was just a smaller part of a company wide uh, emphasis that they were putting on the subdivisions uh, that they have uh, within uh, the, the the Daimler Corporation. So a number of uh, manufacturers have uh, decided to rebrand uh, their their F1 teams. I mean, you look at Renault, they're going to be Alpine uh, next year. But uh, anyways, uh, Total Wolf said that there are no plans at uh, Mercedes to have a complete rebrand uh, despite uh, the strengthening of uh, ties uh, with with, uh, AMG. Anyways, uh, Total had to say, quote, It lies in the DNA of Mercedes to race. Uh, The first ever Mercedes was a race car, and we build road cars, and we build race cars. But the new strategy going forward to give the sub-brands a larger marketing platform, AMG, EQ, Maybach, and I think it's good that each of these brands gets a specific patch. AMG is our high-performance brand. Formula One cars are high-performance cars. The Mercedes name is not going to be dropped from Formula One. On the contrary, it's always going to be a Mercedes. The chassis is always going to be a Mercedes. The team name is always going to be Mercedes, and we are all Mercedes people. But in addition to that, we are also AMG. We represent AMG as a high-performance brand, and we want to increase the visibility of AMG, which exists today. Here is a technology transfer between the companies. Just give it a more marketing exposure and showcase the technology transfer that happens between AMG and the Mercedes Formula One team, end quote. So there you go. Anyways, uh, moving over from Ferrari, or sorry, from the Mercedes to Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel, four-time world champion, the, uh, well, arguably the guy at uh, Ferrari until uh, last year when uh, he was, uh, quite frankly, uh, upstaged to a certain degree by uh, Charles Leclerc, says he wants to end his time uh, with uh, Ferrari at the the end of the season with, uh, with, uh, with dignity. And of course, uh, Vettel uh, just only has uh, half a dozen races uh, left uh, with the Scuderia before he uh, leaves to, to join uh, Aston Martin for next year. 
Anyway, so he had a couple of things uh, to say that I thought was uh, very interesting. Uh, he said that, uh, well, he's very, you know, very flattering and uh, was uh, really uh, lavishing some praise on uh, Charles Leclerc for uh, what he said was doing a very good job and said that uh, he recognized that Charles really is able to to get the, the maximum uh, out of the car. And he did also to, to go on uh, and, and also acknowledge that uh, that he has had struggles uh, throughout uh, the, the season. And uh, anyways, he said, uh, specifically for my side, uh, I think it's a very different year, very different circumstances going in. I'm probably not having the smoothest year doing with what I can do and not the easiest situation, but I'm willing to give everything I can to try and improve and towards the end of the year, get back to know where I know I can be. End quote. So yeah, that, that, that's obvious. I mean, it, it's, it's been difficult. I mean, look at uh, Sebastian Vettel. I mean, he's had some good years with, with, uh, with uh, Ferrari last year. Well, obviously not quite so much, but I mean, I think there were more things going on there. And I mean, I mean, his legacy at Ferrari is going to be mixed. I mean, there, there, there's no doubt uh, that uh, when things were going good there, that they were going uh, very good. I mean, if you go, you don't even have to go back that uh, long ago. I mean, just uh, as recent as, as 2018, when I mean, he was uh, legitimately challenging uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, for the uh, for, for the championship. I mean, that really fell apart in the second half of that uh, that, that that season. But still, he uh, he he was he, he did well through 2017 and 2018. That really was uh, the 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 year. And you know, well, <laughs> hindsight, I suppose, uh, like I was saying earlier, is 2020. But uh, that that really was the the, the opportunity that uh, Ferrari had to win uh, a championship, either drivers or constructors championship. 2018 was uh, going to be it because last year, you know, there there was those uh, accusations of the uh, you know the you know, something funny going on within the power unit that dogged them for a long time, and this year. Following the the investigation and whatever the uh, you know the findings were, and then the secret uh, deal that they have with the FIA. I mean, these engines aren't uh, aren't the same. And you look. Uh, I mean, r- regardless if uh, Charles is uh, able to uh, to, uh, to do something with that car. I mean, he's just really <laughs> fighting it uh, as well. I mean, you you could put Charles Leclerc out there in a washing machine with four wheels, and he'd still uh, be able to uh, put in some impressive lap times uh, with it. I mean, he's just uh, one of these guys that is just so naturally talented that he's able to extract every ounce of uh, performance uh, out of uh, the, these cars, be it a good car or a bad car. And uh, we've seen them uh, do do that with uh, Ferrari and also uh, his time with uh, Sauber Alfa Romeo in his uh, rookie season a couple of years ago. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, so uh, Vettel, uh, Vettel did go on uh, to talk a little bit more about his pending departure from uh, Ferrari at the end of the year. And uh, he said uh, a couple of things I thought were uh, interesting. And it uh, starts here uh, by Seb saying, quote, obviously, this year's car is not as easy uh, to drive for both of us. I'm sitting in all the meetings that Charles is participating in as well. And we shared the opinion. For sure, it's not always easy. But I think it's going clear into the season, you knowing you're going to part ways, it's going to be a different sort of love story. Nevertheless, I respect all the work that has been going on on my side in the last years, therefore I'm willing to give my maximum back. It's not being the easiest years with where we are, the race as well, here and there, didn't really go our way. Sometimes like this and myself, I have to push through and pull through and I look forward to the new tracks we have on one hand and the races that we have coming up to try and put things together a little bit more. 
end quote. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, it obviously has been, uh, you know, very difficult, uh, for him. Uh, I mean, uh, a couple other things. I mean, it was kind of a lengthy, uh, interview. Uh, he said that, uh, that it was uh, an enormous privilege to drive uh, for Ferrari and, uh, he, he wants to, uh, you know, he, he wants to end up his time at Marinello with uh, dignity, but he's, he's very much uh, looking forward to, uh, to, to closing that, uh, that, that story off at the end of this year, this year and, uh, move over to Aston Martin, uh, for, for next year. I mean, that, that, that Aston Martin story, I think is going to be very, very interesting, uh, to, to, to watch next year, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, to see what they're doing, not just uh, on the track, uh, but, but, but off the track. I mean, uh, you know, Lawrence Stroll and, uh, you know, I mean, he's putting some serious money into this, uh, the, this operation and also into the, into the, the, the road car company. And I mean, they're, they're not just doing it uh, just so they can uh, show up at, uh, at Formula One, just simply, uh, you know, Formula One races just to be there. I think uh, they, they really want to do something with it. I mean, uh, you know, getting a driver like uh, Sebastian Vettel, who's obviously had a couple of uh, tough years, but I mean, he's a four-time world champion. And uh, I, I think that uh, he's just uh, one of these guys uh, that uh, I think that um, it, it, he's come to a real crossroads in his uh, career. I mean, he's early 30s. He's obviously got uh, some, uh, you know, some time left in front of him. But obviously, it's been a couple of difficult years at uh, at, at Ferrari. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not he can really kickstart his career at, 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 at Aston Martin next year. But uh, anyways, I, I think, uh, you know, at least by signing him, it gets them some, uh, you know, some credibility. Uh, it, it maybe gives them. Uh, you know, I, I would say respect. Respect they're going to earn by what they do during the races on the track. Uh, you know, what, what kind of car they're able to build and and put out there, and uh, ultimately whether or not it's going to be uh, you know a challenger. But if they uh, do anything uh, you know similar to what they did with the Racing Point RP20 this year. Then uh, who knows? It uh, it really could be uh, a surprise. Anyways, uh, sticking with uh, Ferrari, they have uh, decided they are going to uh, put some more aero uh, upgrades on the SF1000 at the Portuguese uh, Grand Prix this year. And uh, well, it, it's uh, basically a, the, the completion of their development program on the car, uh, and it's um, it hasn't been a good one. Uh, let's put, put it that one. Uh, anyways. Uh, uh, Let's just uh, take a look at uh, what they had to say here with uh, Enrico uh, Cardile, who's the uh, the Ferrari's head of uh, performance uh, development. He had to say, quote, we, uh, we already introduced a few small modifications to the car aero package in Saatchi and added uh, others at the Nürburgring. In Portimao, we will have a further update, mainly to the diffuser, completing the program set out over the past few months, end quote. So uh, some of the updates uh, that they they, they had uh, on the car were, well, they, they, did, uh, they did do something positive. Uh, because uh, Charles Leclerc, uh, he uh, qualified fourth at uh, in Germany and finished uh, seventh, and then uh, that was just uh, on the heels of a sixth place uh, that he had at, uh, at Sochi just a couple of weeks uh, before. And uh, th- this kind of well, we we talked about this last week uh, because uh, Mattia Bonato, team principal at Ferrari, said that uh, the updates that they put on in recent uh, weeks were not uh, really expecting to uh, give them a huge gain in uh, performance. But uh, you know the 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 the, the, the gains that they we're seeing or we're seeing uh, we're actually a, an indication that team is actually uh, moving in the right uh, direction uh, with, with the car so anyways uh, Cardile does hope that uh, Ferrari is going to get more confirmation uh, at the race this weekend that uh, the development uh, that they've had in the latest uh, batch of upgrades is uh, also on the right track uh, and uh, this is uh, you know after they've had some issues uh, you know in, in, in the wind tunnel 
anyways, uh, so yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, Charles uh, definitely has had some decent results, but uh, Ferrari, uh, they're they're not always going to be uh, satisfied with the sixth and seventh. But uh, who knows? Maybe slowly but surely they're starting uh, to to turn it around. But uh, it really looks like uh, you know they they hit rock bottom at some point uh, during the season here. And whatever happens, it can only uh, there's only one way to go, and that's uh, that's up. Um, anyways, uh, just uh, sticking with uh, Ferrari, they've uh, decided to, to use uh, some of their uh, tokens to redo the rear of the car for uh, 2021. And uh, Simeone Aresta, who is the uh, Ferrari's head of uh, en- uh, chassis engineering, had to say, quotes, uh, we will redo the rear of the car. Uh, we think that uh, this uh, area will allow for some more room uh, for development between the chassis and aerodynamics for 2021. Furthermore, the rear of the car will be affected by regulatory changes that the FAA are introducing to reduce the aerodynamic load in order to limit the stress on the tires. As a result of these floor changes, all teams will lose a number of points of downforce and it will be essential to work to recover as much as possible. All this makes us believe that the most important area in which to spend development tokens is the rear, end quote. So there you go. Uh, obviously, uh, Ferrari is, uh, you know, looking at that. And, um, well, they, they did restructure things at, uh, at Marinello. And uh, perhaps uh, maybe we're starting to see some of the fruits of those uh, the, those labors to, to, to reorganize and, and put people like uh, Cardile and uh, Duresta and also the uh, redefined role that uh, Matteo Bonato has. Uh, you know, maybe they're having their own little uh, renaissance. Uh, renaissance uh, so we'll have to keep watching over the next half dozen races and, of course, into next year. Anyways, uh, time for one final break here on the Overtime Media Network. Please don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is not the London I grew up in. It's time to take back our city. This granny's joining the resistance. Are you? Play Watch Dogs Legion. Available October 29th. Rated M for Mature. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Just a couple more things to to, to cover before we uh, wrap this one up. And uh, Surreal Abitabool, team principal at uh, Renault, says that uh, Danny Ricardo, who will be leaving for McLaren at the end of the year, is uh, or has been the key to the progress that uh, Renault has uh, seen over this uh, year. And, uh, well, I mean, he's had some very good uh, races uh, or results uh, over the last uh, number of races. I mean, he finally got uh, Renault's uh, first podium at the Nürburgring uh, a couple of weeks ago. 
and uh, this was their first podium in uh, in in five years. So <laughs> it's it's been a long time, uh, a long time coming. Anyways, uh, Abita Bull had to say, "quote It's equally important to the team, to Daniel, to myself. Also, we've been questioned about this uh, decision of him joining us, and also his uh, decision of joining the team. So in uh, both directions, really." I think it was very important for everyone to put the commentators at bay and show why it made sense at the time. Yes, it was disappointing last year, and you could argue it was one year too early. But you know, there are not many opportunities to have a, a driver like Daniel who was available on the market, so I still believe it was the right thing to do at the time. The team wouldn't be what it would be today without Daniel, despite maybe thanks also to the year that we had uh, together last year, which was indeed a very painful year, which has pushed all of us, probably starting with myself, to take the measures that we've taken and also with the team in Enstone and with uh, Marcin uh, Budkowski and so on and so forth. So now we are finding ourselves in a much better position for this year and next year, and Daniel is capable of doing this type of thing. I think it's a statement, end quote. So, yeah, it's interesting that uh, that Abitabul is uh, you know, kind of come out and uh, you know made all these uh, statements about uh, Ricardo. I mean, obviously giving credit where credit is due, but there must be uh, a bit of sadness and uh, probably a little bit of regret in his voice as well. Uh, if you were to hear the uh, you know speak with him uh, directly, that uh, just knowing that uh, that even though they've accomplished uh, so much uh, with Ricardo over the past uh, year or two, that uh, you know it's not going to last uh, too much longer because uh, Ricardo is uh, leaving at the end of the year to go to uh, McLaren. So that's going to be another situation to really watch uh, next year, you know, just um, how Ricardo does uh, with his new team compared to where uh, Renault go from from here, well, you know, when they're, they're going to be uh, uh, Alpine uh, next year, of course. Uh, but still, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's going to be a lateral move uh, for Ricardo. Is it going to be a backwards move? Or is he going to do uh, better with uh, McLaren, who have uh, certainly been improving in leaps and bounds over the past couple of years uh, themselves? Anyways, uh, sticking with uh, with uh, Renault, uh, Abitaboul also had to say that uh, uh, Ricardo's teammate, Esteban Alcon, uh, the young Frenchman, uh, his uh, 20, uh, 2020 season, although it's been a, a bit uh, disappointing, uh, Abitaboul said that it's uh, not a disaster, so uh, <laughs> take that uh, for, for what it is. Um, anyways, he had to say specifically, quote, I think he needs to do what he's been doing since a few races that unfortunately he has not uh, really materialized, but for reasons that were not in his direct uh, control. It's still not totally clear what happened with with the brake warming issue in Mugello, we still don't know. But let's be clear, Monza was difficult. It's been a bit of a reset for Esteban. Uh, the way that we are all working together, there's been lots of discussion, lots of hard work from his engineer, Mark Slade, who's not new to, uh, to race engineering in order to bring him through the steps. I still think he needs basically to be a very pragmatic about this uh, situation, which is not a disaster, end quote. And Esteban uh, himself said he's uh, pleased with uh, the support he's received from uh, teammates, uh, or his future teammate, uh, Fernando Alonso, with his uh, support in the, the simulator. And uh, he believes that uh, it can really help the the, the team uh, and their, their, their push to, to, to move uh, up the grid and uh, become uh, more of a, a challenger. Anyways, uh, Formula One, uh, the, the drivers are actually um, gotten together and they're pushing for uh, a change to the penalty points uh, system. And this is... Uh, uh, well, I think this is uh, a lot to do with uh, the, uh, the the issue that we saw with the double penalty that uh, Lewis Hamilton uh, was uh, given at the, the Russian Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago for these uh, the, these uh, practice starts uh, that uh, you know he did in the wrong area of the track, and then uh, you know that really knocked him out of uh, contention to, uh, to to win that race. Um, so, anyways, it, um, it it's kind of 
it's, it's, I guess this kind of gets into the fine print of Formula One, if you want to call it that. So uh, anyways, uh, he's into uh, 10 points within a 12-month uh, period. So that means he's within the two points of the 12-point uh, limit that automatically uh, 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 puts him into a, a race ban for, for one race. So um, anyways, after the, the the race in Russia, the stewards actually changed the decision uh, because uh, they felt that uh, Mercedes had uh, misinformed Hamilton that he could actually do his practice starts uh, beyond uh, the pit exit, and he wasn't uh, completely uh, to, to blame. So the, the penalty points that he was going to be given in, 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 in Russia were with, uh, with, uh, withdrawn. And um, anyways, it's uh, they've had a bit of a debate and a discussion uh, about that, and it's been um, you know it was a real topic of a, a conversation at the drivers' briefing at the Eiffel Grand Prix a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, Danny Kvyat, the Alpha Tauri driver, had to say, "quote I raised this question in the drivers' meeting about the driving points. How sometimes they give them to someone and then they retire those points. I think that this thing needs to be a bit reviewed. If you get uh, penalty points uh, if you cause, let's say, a dangerous collision with someone or a really." dangerous maneuver then it's clearly someone's fault then okay it's justified but blue flag infringements like all that sort of bs i don't think you really need any license points it's not a taxi park you know we need to be able to always to be able to push on the limit so it just needs i think to be slightly reviewed at the system so uh you know a lot of his other uh you know uh, fellow drivers uh, agree with that and uh, that was a real uh, controversy a real thing after uh you know lewis was given those uh two uh five second uh, penalties and uh, because he hadn't uh you know stopped already you know that that time couldn't be added on at the end of the race so when he came into his uh, you know first pit stop you know he had to uh, serve that uh, you know those uh, two um, back-to-back five-second uh, uh, time penalties and it sure looks funny too just on a bit of a side note that whenever you see a formula one car just uh, sitting there not not moving within the pits uh, within uh, you know th- those couple of seconds it really does feel like an eternity so i have no idea i can't imagine what it must uh, be like uh, for for a driver anyways uh, just before we wrap up the show here just uh, there's not really a lot to to talk about uh, for the portuguese uh, grand prix this week because uh, you know we don't really know a lot about uh, portimao especially from a, a formula 1 uh, point of view but uh, what we do know is that it's going to be the first uh, Formula One uh, race in Formula One, or sorry, in Portugal uh, since uh, 1996. Uh, it's it's been uh, you know quite a long time since uh, we we've seen a race there. Uh, the the first time uh, we saw Portuguese uh, Grand Prix was uh, from 19, 1951 at the Boa Vista circuit, and uh, they uh, alternated back and forth with uh, Monsanto. And uh, that was from 1951 to 1960. And then uh, they went to, to Estoril, which they, they raced at uh, from 1984 to 1996. In 1994, there was a, a redevelopment, uh, a redesign of the circuit. It, and we haven't been uh, back since. So Portimao is one of these uh, tracks that uh, kind of came on uh, in that kind of exciting uh, part of the the uh, you know the summer or the late spring when the the, uh, the 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 schedule for this year was reconfirmed. I mean, it, it, honestly, it was one of the only bright spot that uh, that we've had in uh, in this year, at least from a Formula One point of view, uh, was that after we had so many cancellations and postponements and stuff like that, was uh, there was all these speculations. Oh, maybe this track is going to come, and maybe this one will as well. But, uh, anyways, uh, it's cool to see. I mean, uh, the the track itself, or just going back to the, uh, we'll talk about uh, the the racetrack itself in a moment. But the the last race in 1996, the pole position was uh, set by, and this was at Estoril. It wasn't a Portimao because uh, construction wasn't completed there until 2008. 
Anyways, at the last uh, Portuguese Grand Prix, pole position uh, was uh, was uh, claimed by Damon Hill, who was uh, racing a, a Williams Renault. He set a time of one minute twenty point three. The podium was uh, Jacques Villeneuve for uh, Williams, Damon Hill, and uh, P three was uh, Michael Schumacher in the Ferrari fastest lap of the race was uh, set by Jacques Villeneuve. He said a 122.87. So there you go. Anyways, uh, like I was saying, the track itself uh, at, uh, at Portimao, uh, it's going to be a 4.65 or a 2.89 mile long uh, circuit. Sorry, so 4.65 kilometers and 15 turns. And uh, well, obviously, like I was saying, it's the first time we've seen uh, Formula One there, but it's not a stranger to uh, you know, top level events. You get seen motor, uh, MotoGP race there. I mean, A1 Grand Prix race there before they uh, folded, uh, what was it, 10, 12 years ago. Superbikes, FIA GT Championship, uh, Le Mans Series. You know, so, I mean, there, there's a lot that uh, that goes on there. So it's going to be uh, really cool to see how it uh, stacks up, how it compares. Uh, I mean, it looks like a, a wonderful circuit and uh, really hoping uh, that it's going to deliver a, a good uh, good race. So like I was saying, it was actually uh, finished construction back in October of 2008. And um, so they've been racing there uh, ever since. So... Anyways, that is it. That's all the time that we have for the show this week. And, well, thank you very much for downloading and listening. I'll be back on Sunday night after the Grand Prix to wrap it up and talk about it as we usually do around here. And until then, have a great weekend. Take care of yourselves. If you're up here, can you believe it? In, in here on the south coast of, uh, of BC, we, we've got a we, we got snow forecast uh, for tomorrow. We hardly get snow where I live, so to get it in October, if it actually should come to pass, is uh, going to be uh, something uh, <laughs> a little bit uh, a little bit strange. So we never see snow this early around here. Anyways, uh, enough of that. Have a great weekend, guys. Take care of yourselves. We'll be back in a couple days to talk to you again, and uh, talk to you then. Bye for now. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. This is not the London I grew up in. It's time to take back our city. This granny's joining the resistance. Are you? Play Watch Dogs Legion. Available October 29th. Rated M for Mature.